This CLC podcast is brought to you from Crossroads Life Church located in Harriston, Ontario. May this message from Tiffany Voss bless and enrich your life. Fast to Feast is the title of my message. Fast to Feast. So we're going to unpack this idea of uh, feasting. You know, this year... uh, the theme of our year, we've, we've ordered some banners, we're going to do some, some cool things to keep it in front of our face, but the theme of our year is pursuing the overflow. I know Pastor John has been, uh, he's, he's alluded to this thought in the past, but it's something that, that is on his heart, that we as a church pursue all that God has for us in this year and in this season. You think that's a good idea? Awesome. So, so today my, my, my message lends itself to that, pursuing the overflow. And, uh, you know, so I always have stories about my kids because there's so much theatrical entertainment around my house. Uh, I just, I, I, I'm an endless, uh, I have endless stories about my daughters because they're wonderful and wild all at the same time. But how many know that kids are obsessed with new things, new toys, new stuffed animals, new television shows, like they just want new stuff, right? Christmas just passed. Last year, Frankie was really into Barbies. So I found this beautiful Barbie mansion for 20 bucks at the secondhand store, the kids store in Palmerston. And I was like, thank you, God. And then this year, Frankie was like, no, I'm not into Barbies. I want Peppa Pig. So she wants everything Peppa Pig. She wants the Peppa Pig house and the Peppa Pig camper van. And it's funny because she's picking up the Peppa Pig accent. So she calls, like she calls the flashlight the torch. And, you know, it's just funny little, funny little things that they say on that show. It's really cute. So she'll, oh, and Peppa Pig's little brother's name is George. And so, of course, Frankie's little sister is Georgie. So she calls her George sometimes. It's really funny. Anyhow, so she's into all of this new stuff. It's been, what, like less than two months since Christmas, and already she's sick of all the Peppa Pig stuff. And she's like, Mom, I need an LOL surprise doll. I need LOL surprise. LOL surprise is what all my friends have at school. And I just, like, you know, so she's just into anything that's new. She's not satisfied with the same old, same old. How many know as you get older, you're totally a creature of habit. You're like, I don't want that new thing. No, I like the same food that I order at that restaurant every time I go there. I'm not trying anything else on that menu. This is my husband to the core. My husband wears the same four short shirts all over again. Like he, he buys literally 10 of the same top in maybe different colors. He literally has five of the exact same pair of jeans. It's not as much fun because he's not sitting in this service. In first service, he was sitting right there and we were all dying laughing at him. It was great. But he wears, you know, so that might be you. He wears a uniform. It's like, you know, he, 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 you can't get him out of those habits. But when you're young, you want the new thing. Even teenagers, you know, you want the new device, the new electronics. You're all up in the new slang. You know what the kids are saying and what they're watching, what they're listening to when you're young. Because you want the new thing, right? And so... The older we get, we have to be careful that we're not used to and accustomed to the same old, same old. Your life, as you age, we want to make sure that we're current with the things of the Spirit, that we aren't stuck in old habits, old ways of doing things, old ideas. We need the new thing that God wants to do in our lives in this church. Amen? 
And so today I want to talk to you about the new thing that God wants to do. Because I believe that there is a new work of the Spirit that God wants to establish in your spirit and in your heart in this year. The year 2020. He's doing a new thing in you today. And in this year, it's going to unfold as you pursue the overflow. As you pursue all that is in the kingdom of God for your life, you're going to find that some new things are going to take shape in you. Amen? So Isaiah chapter 43 says it so beautifully. The prophet says, do not remember the former things. Some of us are already uncomfortable. (laughs) What do you mean? I like my habits. I like my life the way I do it. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, roads in the wilderness, you get that picture of a wilderness. And there's, there's just nothing there. It's barren. Roads speak of new destinations. And you think of a picture of a desert. It's dry. It's barren. There's no new life that can grow in a desert. And God is saying, I'm bringing new life. I'm bringing new water into a desert. New destinations and new life. We're already seeing these things being stirred up in this place, aren't we? We're seeing new salvations. We're seeing new healing. We're seeing new things that God is doing among us. It's great. It's fantastic. And my heart is encouraged and I'm excited for all that God wants to bring about in the days ahead as we've only scratched the surface. We're singing about the miracles of God today, how we believe in him and we believe in the God of miracles do you believe that today? Do you believe that, there, that this, this year is, um, is, is going to be filled with the new thing that God wants to do in your life and in this house? And he's going to do it by his spirit. So the new thing. Today I'm going to give you five ingredients the Lord wants to add to you this year. Turn to your neighbor and say, new thing. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. This is my main text here. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he's revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Pause for a second. In that time, if you had a debt that was owing, a debt on the family, and you couldn't pay the debt, thank you, Dave, then under the law of Moses, the creditors could legally take your children and could enslave them until they worked the family's debt off. And so, uh, or whichever came first, the year of Jubilee or until the debt was paid. And so this woman is, is fearful, obviously. Her husband has passed away and apparently they owe some money. So she's like, my sons are gonna be taken from me. What can you do? Who does she go to? She goes to the prophet and she knows that her, that the prophet, she has faith in him and in her desperation, she has faith that the prophet could do something. And he turns to her and says, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. 
She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. The oil then stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil to pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Isn't that awesome? The miraculous provision of God for this widow. So number one, this woman had faith. She didn't just have saving faith, right? But she had faith to go to the man of God. She knew the prophet could do something for me. As opposed to say going to the, to the creditor and saying, please don't take my sons. What can we do? What kind of a bargain? She knew that there was something about the man of God, that God would not let this happen, but that God would save her. So her faith was more than just saving faith. So Hebrews 11 verse six says, without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. Wow. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must first believe that he is. Okay, so there you go. There's your saving faith. We have faith enough to come to church to believe that God is, that he does exist, and that he can save us. But then number two, he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So there's saving faith, and then there's much more faith, right? The reward, the God of reward, the God that rewards those that diligently seek. And this woman knew God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I'm going to the man of God. I have enough faith to believe that he's going to do something about my situation. You know, I remember when Charlie Sweet first came to our church, and he delivered these prophetic words over our house. He gave us about 10 points that he believed that God was doing. And uh, we've, seen, we've seen some of them come to fruition, but there's more, right? One of the things was that God was going to eradicate the debt of our church, which we had still had a mortgage. We still had a mortgage on our church, on this building. Um, and that he was going to also eradicate the personal debt of our congregation. And so my dad had a mortgage as well. And my dad is in his 60s and he was just, this was last year, he was praying. He was like, Lord, I wanna go after these things. I don't wanna just, you know, leave them on the shelf, but I wanna go after that word specifically, debt eradication. I just pray into this debt. So he began to make this a, a, a habit, a matter of prayer in his daily life. And as it turned out, my grandmother passed away. She was 100 years old. And she lived a wonderful life. And uh, she had her plaque from the Pope. She turned 100. And uh, the Pope sends you a congratulations. Welcome to the Centenarian Club. And uh, so she was happy. She died happy. And <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to be rude. No, she was a wonderful woman. But she uh, left my dad an inheritance exactly $100 over the amount that they owed on their mortgage. And so God eradicated their personal debt. And then my dad said, all right, God, the church has a mortgage. We want to go after that. And within about four months of our church making that a habit of prayer, we saw in September we had the party. Actually, it was August that it was all paid off. And we had complete debt eradication on our church's mortgage. So now as you sit here in this church, we don't owe a penny on this building or anything else. Isn't that awesome? Yes, that is awesome. The idea is that 
There might be a word that God has spoken. But by faith, we have to go after the word. We have to go after the promises of God. It's a matter of faith. More than just saving faith. It's a matter that you have to stir your faith up to believe for what God has already said he would do. And it's the same thing with Sunday mornings. As you see the words of knowledge that are listed on the screen, that's people that have heard from the Holy Spirit. They believe that God is, he's spoken to them about what he wants to do, what he wants to heal, what he wants to change, how he wants to uh, move in different people's lives. And when you respond, you respond by what? By faith. And so how do you receive provision? By faith. How did this woman receive the miraculous provision of the unstoppable oil? By faith. She could have looked at the prophet and said, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to my neighbor's house and gathering all those jars of oil. No, you're crazy. No one's going to give that to me. Because by the natural means, it doesn't make sense. In fact, wouldn't it, wouldn't it cause confusion? Her neighbors would be like, what? what? Like, why do you want this jar? Okay, like, you can take my empty jars. And wouldn't she be like, that doesn't make sense. I have this little jar of oil and I'm gathering larger vessels. Scholars think that the jar of oil that she had left in her house, which was the only thing that she said that she had, would have been a small jar meant for anointing, not meant for cooking. And so by natural means, it wouldn't have made sense. But faith doesn't look at the natural. Faith understands who God is and that if he said it, it's going to happen. So we act accordingly. Amen? I want to encourage your faith today. Charles Spurgeon said she did what she was commanded to do. She did it in faith. And guess what? The result answered the end. God takes care to deliver his servants in ways that exercise their faith. He would not have them be little in faith, for faith is the wealth of the heavenly life. God is stirring your faith this year. He's stirring your faith to believe for more, to trust him, to go after some of those prophetic words that have even been spoken over your life. Don't let them sit on the shelf. Don't let them sit in la-la land. The same way that God gave the promised land to the children of Israel and yet they had enemies they still had to overcome in order to occupy the land. You understand that, right? The children of Israel were led into the promise by fighting for it. They didn't just walk in and go, oh, it's great. God gave it to us. It's ours. They had giants. They had Canaanites. They had enemies that they had to fight in order to bring that that word into a reality. And so in the same way, you and I, we have a prayer life. We can wage war through prayer to see things come to pass. Amen? Okay. Number two, I've spent long enough on faith. Number two, emptiness. My husband and I decided to list our house um, we live in Clifford, and so we're, it's, it's for sale right now. But, you know, just before we were deciding to list, we went online and we were like, what, what do we need to do? <laughs> because we have an older house. It's great. I love my house. And I'm not moving because I don't like my house. I love my house. But uh, we're moving because we want to just uh, switch out of our, where we currently are, our current location. And so 
I went online, I was like, what am I going to do? I need to put lipstick on this pig to sell it. And so, <laughs> you know, it's not fully updated. And so I'm like, you know, I'm a little nervous. So the first thing that everyone was saying, you need to empty two-thirds of the content of your house. You want, you want to make it feel bigger. You want to make it look cleaner. You know, you want to paint. You want to do these things. And don't just empty out, like, the normal rooms. Don't just empty out, you know, your living room and your kitchen. Empty your closets. Empty your drawers and your cupboards. Things that people are going to go in, you want it to look like it has more storage, right? So I'm going through my house and... It took a lot of effort, but we went through our house and we tried to empty like two thirds of the content, put it in storage or get rid of it. And I'm telling you what, I could not believe what I was finding. I was like, when did we buy that? I didn't even know I had this. How did this get into my house? You know, I'm like, who are the elves that put all this crap in my closets and my basement? Six years, we've owned our house, two kids later. And you're just like, man, I don't even know what to do with my stuff. It's so crazy. Is anyone like that or is it just me? Like you just, you're like, it accumulates. It just happens. But man, I'm telling you, I found treasure. We had, I found wedding gifts from some of the people in this room <laughs> that I was like, wow, I like, <laughs> I don't mean to be rude. No, I found, a, this is beautiful. I found a, a set of six beautiful white mugs that I had never used before. So whoever gave us those white mugs, thank you very much. We're using them right now and they're perfect and they're brand new. Um, but my point is, is that junk can accumulate in our lives over time, can it? And it, it all it takes is time. <laughs> it's just a natural thing that takes place. Junk can accumulate so easily in your spirit. It can accumulate in your mind and in your heart. And, you know, no one wants to move into my house when it's already filled with junk, right? Who wants to buy a house that's filled with junk? Nobody. It's not their stuff. It's my stuff. Nobody wants that. And the same way the Holy Spirit has a hard time moving into our lives when we're already filled up with junk. When we're already filled vessels, there's no room for the Spirit of God to move. And so we have to be uh, intentional about emptying our vessels. It would have been of no use to that widow for her to go to her neighbors and just ask for oil. The miracle would not have been performed had there not been empty vessels. Had she not been desperate for a miracle, there would have been no miracle. And so the vessels had to be empty before they could be filled with oil and it did no good to bring the, the widow full vessels. A full Christ is for empty sinners and empty sinners only. As long as there is a really empty soul in a congregation, so long will a blessing go forth with the word and no longer. It's not our emptiness, but our fullness, which can hinder the outgoings of free grace. There's a spiritual discipline that we as Christians need to get really good at. It's called fasting. Fasting is one of the most powerful and effective ways that you can Empty yourself, empty your spirit, empty your mind of more than you, because how many know we need to decrease so that he can increase, but also of the things that attach themselves to us over time, the junk that can accumulate in our spirit. And, and so fasting is more than just for January. 
We do it a corporate fast in January. We love to participate together to, you know, help each other out and hold each other up and hold one another accountable. And we do that as a church. It's great. The corporate fast is important. But more importantly is for you to develop the spiritual discipline of fasting. Once a week, you could try it. Once a month, you could try it. And make yourself an empty vessel as you want to pursue all the things that God has for you, emptying yourself is one of the best places to start because God visits empty vessels. God loves empty vessels. Can I get an amen? Come on. The third thing that kind of goes along with fasting is appetite. You know, when I entered the corporate fast in January, I was full up on Christmas sugar, like full up. And I was addicted to it. I mean, I had all those yummy cookie leftovers, chocolate leftovers, everything. And so every day I was just like pounding that stuff back. It was awesome. But was it? <laughs> right? Uh, and so for three weeks we did this fast and, it, and that was great. But on the third week, we, I was going away for four days. So our family was like, okay, we're going to have a day before Tiff leaves that we're going to break our fast early and we're going to hang out and do a nice meal together as a family and have an outing. It was nice. And so we went to the grocery store to like figure out what we were going to cook that day. And I saw this vanilla cake. And I'm a cake girl, especially vanilla cake. Give me a vanilla cake any day. And I'm like in heaven. I love vanilla cake. So I saw this gorgeous vanilla cake and I'm like walking past it, like get behind me, Satan, you know. And then I'm like, but wait a second, it's so beautiful. I literally did a double, a double pass. And as I doubled back to look at the cake again, because it was so gorgeous and I had to have it, I bought it. But you know, it's interesting because my appetite, I wasn't craving sugar anymore. I really didn't want it because I was off sugar for January. So I wasn't like, that's not true. I really did want it, but I wasn't craving it. Okay? There's a difference. There's a difference. Um, so I, I bought the cake and I brought it home. And, I, and the first thing I did, just like Eve, was I said to my husband, you want some? <laughs> Totally felt like Eve in the garden. It was great. And so I, so we ate this cake, and literally within 30 minutes, I was sick to my stomach. And that's never happened before because I just love sugar. And it made me realize that appetite can quickly change. And what I thought I wanted quickly became bitter as my appetite changed for something healthy. In the same way, you and I, as we starve our flesh of things that are carnal, as we starve our, 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 our flesh of things that do not lend themselves to pursuing God, and you know what I'm talking about, because I know you know for your life what that means. But as you starve your, yourself and you starve your flesh, your appetite increases for the things of God and you desire him more and you desire the things of the spirit. And all of a sudden, if you try to go back and taste that old thing that you used to crave, you find it's bitter and it doesn't sit right in your stomach. And then you're like, wow, why did I like that garbage? I don't like that anymore. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? McLaren says, you have God according to the measure in which you desire him. Fasting is a powerful tool to empty yourself of old things so that we can be in tune with what 
new thing that God wants to do in and through us. God wants to do a new work, a new thing in you and in your spirit and in your life. Will you get in step with him? Will you be a vessel that's empty where your appetite goes after the overflow this year? Cool thing about fasting is that it doesn't change God. You know, fasting doesn't change God's mind about anything. But what it does is it changes us. It changes our heart. It changes our spirit. God is still the same. So in a way, fasting is not trying to twist God's arm to have him do what we want him to do. But fasting, as we, as we see, God is attracted to empty vessels. It's a, it's a humbling of ourselves. And it causes him to, to see our desire, our humble desire for him. And he responds to that. The fourth thing, the fourth ingredient is supernatural provision. You see, the woman was told to pour out the one thing that she had. And in the natural mind, it doesn't make sense. Why would she be told to pour out that one thing? But there was provision for her. She didn't go to the Pharisees to see, or to the creditors to see what deal they could make to release her sons from slavery. She went to the man of God. She went to where she knew provision would be. And I want to tell you today, there's supernatural provision for your life in the house of God. There's provision in this place. God has designed the church to be a place where his glory resides, where his provision prevails, and where his spirit moves and causes all things to work together for our good. Philippians 4.19 says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Our God is a rich God. He is not a poor God. He is not a God that lacks anything. But supernatural provision can often require sacrifice. And we see this. The woman came to to the prophet and he told her, to do something. He's told her to pour out what little she had. And we often see that is true even with the widow's might. The the widow brought her, her tithe into the temple and she was ridiculed because it looked so small. But God saw the measure of her sacrifice and he respects that and he saw that and he told those, those uh, Pharisees that were mocking her and looking down on her, He told them that she gave more than anyone that day in the temple, even though it was like the equivalent of five cents. And so in your life, God knows what you have, and he understands the sacrifice that it takes for you and I to bring our gifts before him and to be part of the house of God. And so there's provision here in the house of God. You know, there's provision for your family in the house of God. There's provision for your children. Every parent wants their child to succeed in life. Every parent wants their child to to know God and to know his goodness. Every, Every parent wants their children to do well, you know, to be profitable and to not be poor or lazy or destitute. You know, you want good things for your for your kids. God has designed his house to be a place where his children flourish. 
You're a child of God. And he has brought you into this place so that you can have mothers and fathers. You might not have a mother or a father in the natural. He's brought you into this place so that you can have brothers and sisters. You can be in relationship with the people of God who can encourage you, who can pour into your life. I know for me that, that God has brought me into this place to be a part of the house of God so that I could have family when I didn't. My family, my grandparents all passed away and uh, my cousins live far away. My aunts and uncles, like we don't hang out with them. They're all in different cities. Everyone's kind of spread out. But I know in my life, God has provided aunts and uncles, grandparents, cousins, sisters and brothers in the house of God, relationships that I so desperately need. And so for you too, God's provision is here for your life. God's provision is here for your marriage. God's provision is here for your finances. God's provision is here for every aspect of your life. It's in his word and he's caused it to be a part of his body. And so I want to encourage you to be part of the house of God. Be convinced in your heart today that the house of God is the place for you to be a part of his family. There's provision for your life here. And when you remove yourself from that blessing and that covering, you're removing yourself from God's purposes to be, to be poured out upon you. And the new thing maybe that God wants to do in your heart, you're going to rob yourself of it. Be in the house of God. Be a part of the house of God. There's supernatural provision for you here. That woman went to the prophet. She went to, to a man who she knew what God would, would perform a miracle through. And same with you today. Perhaps there's a healing that you've been waiting for in your body. And you never know what Sunday you show up through those doors. And that miracle and that, that provision is here for you. You never know what Sunday you're going to walk down to the front. Someone's going to lay hands on you and you're going to see change and breakthrough and strongholds break off of your life or that person that you've been praying for, that prodigal person, that neighbor, that family member that you've been believing God that he would bring back to himself. You never know the day or the hour. So I want to encourage you to stick with it. Stay with it. There's supernatural provision in the house of God for you today. In Jesus name. The fifth thing is transformation. Matthew chapter nine, the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus said, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So Jesus is trying to reveal to the disciples of John, he is the bridegroom. He's like, yo guys, you don't need to fast right now because I'm the bridegroom and I'm showing up and now you can feast because it doesn't make sense at a wedding for people to fast, right? When the bride and groom are present. And so he's trying to reveal to their hearts like, hey, I'm the Messiah. Trying to, to speak to them on their level. And uh, back in that time, when they fasted, they fasted out of mourning or, or um, desperation. They fasted because they, something went wrong. And so today, we don't fast for those same reasons, right? We're under the new covenant of grace. We fast because we desire more of God, not because we're trying to change God's mind. But then Jesus goes on and he says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. 
So in that time, when they wanted to make wine, they would get the hide of an animal. They would sew it together and make this sack. They'd pour their new wine in. The new wine would have a transformation that would take place chemically, as we know that that's, that's what happens, how you make wine. Ferments. The fermentation process is actually a chemical transformation that takes place to the wine. It's, it changes from one thing to another, and it's amazing. And so they knew that the wine was ready when that wine, the skin became hard. It would solidify and it would take on a specific shape. But that new wine, as it transformed itself in the, in the fermentation process, it would cause that animal skin to expand. And so the idea here was that if you tried to put new wine into an old, already expanded and hardened wine skin, the wine skin would burst because there was no more room. It's full. It was hardened. And in the same way with the, with the cloth, you wouldn't put a, a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. Otherwise, when you wash the two, the unshrunk cloth uh, patch would shrink, right? You have to put old with old and new with new. The idea that Jesus is trying to convey is that which one are we? If we want the new thing that God is doing, if we want the new wine of his presence, if we want the new move of the Holy Spirit, if we're after those things, we have to be the new wineskin. We have to be the new unshrunk cloth. Because if we aren't, that means that we're the hardened wineskin. We're the old wineskin. We've already taken shape. And we're resistant to change. And that's not good. And so Jesus is telling the believers that there's a transformation that needs to take place. And he said this in the context of fasting. He said this in the context of emptying yourself of the old stuff so that you can be filled with the new wine of his spirit. And it's a beautiful work that the Holy Spirit does. It's a transformational work. Hey, you want to be transformed? You don't like the way you're doing life right now? You want to be new? You need the new wine of the spirit of God to come on the inside. Guess what? It's going to take a little bit of effort. But the Holy Spirit is going to do it by his power. It's not by might, not by our power, but it's by the Spirit of God that God can transform even the hardest life, even the hardest heart, even the hardest situation, even the oldest habit that you might have. And you're like, God, I know this old habit needs to die, but how many know old habits die hard? They do. They really do. But we know that the Holy Spirit is in the transformation business. Someone said that recycling is the most, um, or no, Christianity is the most effective recycling program. And it's true because God takes our old life and he doesn't just repackage it. He doesn't just re-gift it and pretend like it's new with a new box and a new bow on it. And like, you know, that re-gift that your mom gave you last year. God's not into re-gifting. He's into making old things brand new. And he does it by the transformational work of his spirit. Fasting is a powerful tool. And so I want to encourage you, church, as we go into this year, I want to encourage you to develop the spiritual discipline of fasting. And I say it that way because that's exactly what it is. It's a spiritual discipline. It's like working out. You don't want to work out. I don't want to work out. 
I don't want to eat healthy. I don't want to, you know what I mean? I don't, by my flesh, I don't want to do those things. But I know they're good for me. And I make myself do it. Paul the Apostle says that he disciplines himself the way an athlete does so that he can run the race without hindrance. And in the same way, I believe that God is calling you and I to run our race without hindrance. And he's calling us to run in this in such a way that we pursue the everything, we grab hold of everything that he has in store for our lives. Are you with me? Thank you, church. Our present vessels can't handle the new wine of the Holy Spirit, the way they are. They just can't contain it. And so the stretch is too great. We have to be made new. And that new thing is the thing that God wants to do in us. If we can keep these five ingredients in the forefront of our hearts, we're gonna go from fasting to feasting. The paradox there is that as you fast, you actually enter a spiritual feast. God desires to feast with you, to dine with you, and to provide everything that your soul and your spirit need that you might prosper this year. And so let's just recap this. The fasted life is the feasting life. Number one, have faith. Number two, empty yourself. Number three, your appetite will then be more for the Holy Spirit. Number four, we will then see supernatural provision. We're going to see miracles. And God is going to transform us on the inside. The acronym here, it's easy to remember, FEAST. Faith, uh, emptiness, appetite, supernatural provision, and transformation. FEAST in 2020. That concludes this CLC podcast. More podcasts can be found on our website at www.myclc.ca.